right center net. And the scores! Manny McDonald! And over at that flame bench, there's all kinds of excitement going on there. Scores! Roll the highlight reel. Six to nothing flame. Yankees put it in the wind column. Yeah, baby, yeah, baby, yeah, baby! This is Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get this hour going. It is Wednesday, January 3rd, and Flames Talk underway with Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. My name is Pat Steinberg, and welcome to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Did you know Calgary Lock and Safe also fixes doors? If you have one that needs it, visit calgarylockandsafe.com slash doors. Hello. Patrick, how are we, buddy? I'm doing well. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts as per usual. And we're kicking off this hour by going inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. It's that time to stock up for the celebrations that matter with ingredients that help make memories. Visit Calgary Co-op where life's in store. It's been a long time since uh, this gentleman has been on Flames Talk. And very much looking forward to bringing in uh, Aaron's NHL.com brethren in Vancouver. And uh, also, he uh, continues to churn out just uh, the best goaltending yeah. content you're going to find anywhere over at In Goal Magazine. Uh, Kevin Woodley joins us inside hockey on this Wednesday. Kevin, it is a pleasure having you back on uh, Flames Talk. I, uh, I know you uh, were a regular about a year and a half ago, so it's great to have you back. How are we doing? Oh, it's, my, it's my pleasure to be here. If I'd known Aaron was on with huh. us, you know, I would have been jumping, chomping at the bit, jumping. Yeah, well, I thought you would have declined. Oh, I, I, had to, I had to bribe him to come on. To, I, I should have thrown Vicar's name on. In before. spite of me being here, I feel like, Kev. No, I think because of you, it would have been. Not at all, my friend. Not at all. It's good to talk to you. Um, hey, we've talked a lot, Kev, about uh, about Jacob Markstrom this year. And, and you know, it's been... We've, we've gotten some pushback at times earlier in the year saying, you know what, Jacob Markstrom from our vantage point really is showing some signs that a lot of the things that plagued him last year, he's maybe put behind him and he was in the process of having a bounce back campaign. He, he breaks his finger, he comes back and his level's taken another step since coming back. He's at a 939 in the six games since he's returned. So it, it, it feels like from our vantage point that, he has made some big strides in bouncing back from last year's nightmare. But uh, from the numbers you run, from what you see, from what you know, would you would you concur that, that Jacob is indeed having a bounce-back campaign this year? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and I'll throw the caveat out there right off the hop. Um, I, I don't watch, obviously, every Flames game. Uh, the, the day job is to watch the Canucks, try to watch as much as I can. So I rely, I rely on those numbers a lot, right? Because, you know, the, the numbers that I have access to through Stephen Valaket's company, ClearSight Analytics, you know, they really do give us a taste of the shot quality that goalies see around the league. And without it, you know, you're just relying on raw save percentage or goals. I don't even look at goals against average. To be honest, I don't even look at raw save percentage anymore because there's just not enough context in it. And so when I pull up the numbers on Jacob Markstrom on ClearSight Analytics, this is a guy who should arguably, arguably be in the Vesna Trophy conversation. He's third in the league right now in goals saved above expected. Uh, the only two guys ahead of him are Thatcher Demko, and it's by just over a goal, and Linus Allmark, who you know is is not even like like point seven of a goal ahead of him. So like he's playing at a top three level in terms of those are cumulative stats, 
Uh, obviously, Demko's played a bunch more than either Allmark or Marks from Marky because of the finger, Allmark because of the tandem they've yeah. got in Boston. When you get into the sort of, you know, I, I look at adjusted save percentage to sort of sort of take out the cumulative nature of it, and Marky's top five, right? Like the, the only guys better than him and smaller samples for Martin Jones, who, you know, I, I think people will be surprised to see how good he's been in Toronto so far. Aiden Hill, who's obviously out with an injury right now, but has picked up right where he left off as a Stanley Cup champion last year. Yes, Vegas was great defensively, but he was outstanding behind them, and he's picked that up uh, since this season started when healthy. And then the surprise, Charlie Lindgren and Linus Allmark. Like, those are the only guys ahead of Jacob Markstrom right now in an adjusted save percentage perspective. He's ahead of Thatcher Demko. Uh, he's ahead of Connor Hellebuck. He's ahead of Ilya Sorokin, guys that you know, are getting buzz along with Demko for, for the Vesna Trophy. So, um, yeah, I, w- I would call that a bounce back. Uh, you know, when, <laughs> when these numbers tell you you, you are playing uh, at a level that's near the best in the league, absolutely. And, you know, the caveat I'll throw in there is – it's not going to show up in the raw numbers. Um, you'd actually have to tell me what his raw save percentage is. Like I said, I'm pretty bad about not looking at those stats, despite working for NHL.com. Um, but his expected is 872. And that's the surprise to me. I thought with a coaching change that this group would maintain some of the defensive identity that was established under Daryl Sutter. And it really hasn't been the case. All their defensive metrics have have dropped and when we we talk about expected so like what the average goalie in the nhl should stop based on the quality of shots faced marksham should be at an 872 the only two guys in the entire league with a lower expected save percentage are ante ranta in carolina at 866 and poor eric comrie who just cleared waivers in buffalo at 850 like that guy just got the crap sandwiches every start he had there's huh. no defense in front of him and so that's where maybe some of these metrics are harder to see um in the public numbers uh because the environment's been it's been pretty bad you know when i look at last year uh, five on five eight in high danger chances against 24th this year off the rush last year 16th 24th this year in zone eight last year 22nd this year pk eight last year 22nd this year so defensively they haven't been as good they've relied more on their goaltending you know I think a lot of people would argue that's where Marky's at his best right when he's busy when he's being asked to stop bullets in his teeth and, and he's delivered for the most part this season Kev just so you know on the uh, simple stats save percentage at NHL.com yeah, these are the simp numbers 907 which is only two off of his 909 career average I'm just curious and again you mentioned that you know day job is Vancouver Canucks but when you do get a chance to see Jacob Markstrom just from posture and body language and things of that sort are you noticing a difference in how quiet he is this year versus last year well i mean i know they tried to quiet him since he got there right like so and and you watch demko here in vancouver and the system they play um the amount of movement narrow stance lots of lots of quick small micro adjustments and i know they tried to you know maybe take a little bit of that out uh not as much movement quiet it down a little bit and so you know that he seems to be more comfortable with that i mean the risk is if a play is coming down the wing and I'm making those quick little short adjustments to stay on angle, the benefit is I am staying on angle. The risk of sort of more of a straight line back attack, as much as that has less movement, it's a little more of a drift as opposed to little pushes. Um, it looks a little smoother, but you can lose angle in those instances. You, you flatten out as you come straight back to the goal line rather than squaring yourself with the shooter as he comes down the wing. And that's where you see, as soon as we're not square as goaltenders, that one, 
that's when pucks tend to hit you and leak through. That's when holes get exposed. That's why you hear goalies talk about set and square all the time. And so, you know, I don't know that you can trace all of them because I didn't get to go through through all of them yet. But, you know, the the, the one sort of crit- criticism at this point would be the fact he's got seven low-danger chances or seven low-danger goals against already this season. And, you know, there's a lot of guys that, that are, you know, have similar numbers. It's not the worst in the league. Um, you know, when I look at, at, at the low danger, those are the ones you don't want to give up. Cause when you give up, you, when you give up a low danger to your goal, unless the guy at the other end reciprocates for you, those are the games you tend to lose. The numbers are 87% right. of the time. And so, you know, seven's a fair amount. I, I, there's guys like Georgiev and, uh, you know, that are up around 10. So it's not the worst in the league, but I'll give you the comparisons. Connor Hellebuck's only given up one all season. Right. So, so as good as he's been on the really tough chances he's facing, that's the one fair criticism here. And I wonder at times if that's the trade off, right? Like the, the quieter straight line drift versus the quick short movement uh, is the trade off that, that, that you do lose a little angle and maybe you're not as, not as square on some of these shots that, you know, at least the math says shouldn't go in as often as they have. Again, I'm going to use some NHL edge numbers here. Uh, he's at, an 862 high danger save percentage is, is somewhere in the realm of what you referenced. That's in the 98th percentile, but his mid range is only 888, and that's below the 50th percentile. Why, just generally speaking, would there be such a gap in a goalie's high danger versus mid range? Yeah, it, and it's tough to say. This is where you have to. This is where what what I would do is take the numbers, pull up on ClearSight, I'd click on those, and then it would show me all the goals. And you, you go through them all and through all the shots and see if you can identify a trend. And so without having done that, and you know, I apologize. No worries. There's only so many hours in the day. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't dug that deep into it because I was also trying to check out a little bit of Vladar and a little bit of Wolf, num- uh, both numbers and video. I haven't gotten far enough into it. And there's one thing you know, Aaron, I, I, I don't like to talk out of my ass. So I'm not huh. going to pretend when I haven't seen something. You need to get off this you know, show that, then. That I, I, That's all I do <laughs> here, I buddy. what it is, but... But, uh, you know, when I look at the high danger at Clearsight, like he's plus 9% on high danger chances. Only Jeremy Swayman's better in the entire league. When I look at, at his mid numbers, uh, you know, he's right around expected. And as I said, the low, he's below expected. So he's been exceptional on the high danger chances, not so much on the mid stuff. And at the end of the day, the low and the mid, again, without going through the video, the one thing it doesn't account for even at clear site where it's not just location it's 34 different points of data one of the only ones that sort of tracks screens and that's what that's been an issue for vladar it's actually been one of his only issues screens have been an issue and a lot of the times it's his own guys it's defensive screens that are hurting him um so when you go through that that data even with all those different data points and all that information and context added we still don't know whether you know was the guy unchecked down the wing and he just hit the perfect spot and that's where you need to go through the video and say, okay, maybe this is a low danger chance, but the guy made a perfect shot on it. Or are we seeing low danger chances and the guys are hitting the same spot, in which case is there a book here in terms of where these pucks are going in? So, you know, I'm tell- I tell you what, we'll-, we'll figure it out to have me back on more regularly, and I'll start to drill down into some of that finite detail for you. But right now, all I can tell you is the guy's killing it at high danger, and there's some margin for improvement on the other ones. Last uh, last one on Markstrom, and and it's you know it's something that you know listening to you in the past talk about Jacob since he's gotten here, and and something that you've been talking about since he was starting games at Vancouver is uh, the the difference of 
an overworked Jacob Markstrom and when the rest levels and the work levels are maybe more in the sweet spot. And and the reason I bring this up is because Ryan Huska, the head coach here, has brought that up a couple of times since he's come back from injury about how much they believe that, you know, Jacob's better when he's rested and when he's got a little bit more time and he's not getting overworked, even they're now talking about how he is a better goaltender. That's That's been something you've been talking about going back to his Vancouver days isn't it well yeah and the difference here in vancouver is and there's probably some of it too in calgary like i said they're trying to quiet his game and so when you're busy when you're when you're playing every second night when you're going through the grind you don't have time to sort of fine-tune the details or stay on top of the details and that's when you can revert to old habits and that's kind of what we saw here in vancouver it wasn't so much that you know like necessarily fatigue is or or the fatigue would show up through old habits in his game creeping back in and so there'd be nights where it's like you know i know the goalie coach would be like hey like yes he gives us our best chance to win he's our best goaltender but we need to give him one night off here instead of playing rolling him back out there and getting him you know 80 75 70 percent as the as the starts pile up let's give him a night off let's give him a couple days with me to get back on those details and then when he plays the next game, you're getting 90 or 95% Jacob Markstrom. And I think, honestly, you know, there, there's probably some of that in terms of some of the, the tweaks they're making there. But also, like, this is just the way we're seeing this around the league. Like, he's not alone in that, right? Like, you know, you look at Marc-Andre Fleury hitting 1,000 games. I don't know that anybody ever hits that mark again because goalies aren't playing 70-plus on a regular basis no. like Berdur and Luongo did. Um, and, and I think a large part of that is the game's never been more demanding physically and mentally. I talked to goalies around the league, goalie coaches around the league. The biggest difference for them is you, like I used to talk to Luongo, like when he didn't have his A stuff, he knew how to get away with a B game. You can't get away with a B game anymore in the NHL. That's when they end up putting five or six behind you. So, um, the margin for error has never been slimmer. The workload's never been tougher with all the East West movement. And so I expect that number, to sort of come down. And so as much as I did used to talk about that specifically to Jacob, I think that's around the league right now. And and that's why, like I said, I think Fleury's the last one to hit a thousand. And and you'll see these numbers in terms of what an ideal workload looks like continue to come down. Like, you know, we, we saw it all 65 and then 60. A lot of teams talk about 55 right now. And I know there's teams that think it's closer to 50. So um, finding that sweet spot where you're not getting into a point of diminishing returns with your goalie, especially if you have playoff ambitions. Because if you got to ride a guy till the wheels come off to get there, you know, you're not going to have anything left when you do. And I just look at two years ago where Thatcher Demko, who was brilliant two seasons ago, and UC Saros, equally so, were the two busiest goalies in the league, and neither one of them even made it to the postseason. Not because, in, in Demko's case, the team didn't get there, but he was also hurt before the year ended, and Saros was hurt as well by the end. So I think teams are learning their lessons there. It's not just Jacob Markstrom, yeah. but it's sort of always been a part of the equation for him as well. Um, last one, because uh, I know you got a role, and uh, we're talking to Kevin Woodley of In Goal Magazine and NHL.com. Uh, just a uh, a thought on the other two goalies we've seen this year. Your observations, and, and when we bring you back on again, we, we can get deeper into this stuff, but uh, your observations on Dan Vladar and Dustin Wolf, who have both seen plenty of time this year as well. Yeah, no, Vladar had a rough start, right? Like, um, overall in the season, he's below expected in terms of save percentage. 
when you throw a filter on there, say November 1st, he's, he's on the right side of the ledger, right? And, that, and that's a tough job, too, in terms of not being the guy that plays every night. You know, you don't get that rhythm. Look at, you know, I was just down to the Winter Classic, and you look at Joey Decord and the run he's on with the Seattle Kraken. It's not a coincidence that he's playing at this level when it's the first time since his first season he's gotten the opportunity to play this many games. You get into a rhythm, you feel good about yourself, and you get to continue to build on it. Tough as a backup when you've got to take each loss or, you know, if it's a tough goal or a tough night and sit on it for a week, week and a half. But our since November 1st has been really good. After his start, I'll be honest, I was like, how much longer after the, his first few games, like how much longer can they keep doing this given how good Wolf has been in the American Hockey League? And so um, to his credit, he's righted the ship after a tough start, been good since November 1st. Uh, and, and the other part of that is we saw Wolf up here, and I I have no doubt that Dustin Wolf is an NHL goaltender, and I have a strong belief that he's going to be a really good one. But the tough part is finding opportunities to sort of get your feet wet because there is a learning curve. And we saw that when he was up. And so as long as this team has aspirations to make the playoffs, I you know, they sort of – he didn't – bang down the door to the point where they don't have a choice but to keep him there. And so keeping him in the American League, playing games as an option in a league where you know you're going to need depth, they've already needed it once, is the best way to go here. At some point, though, if if they can't keep pace, if they decide to sort of pull the rug out on the season, get this kid up here and play because he is going to be an NHL goaltender. He just needs minutes and reps to get comfortable with this league. I have no doubt. Uh, Kevin, that was uh, great stuff. As expected, it is awesome to have you back on. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to diving a little bit more in on this and uh, some other goaltending conversations around the league as well. So uh, we'll let you bounce for now. I know you do Wednesdays at our uh, sister station with the boys on 650, so we'll let you go get ready for that. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for doing this, hey. My pleasure, guys, and uh, have a great week, and we hope to talk to you soon. Yes, absolutely. That is uh, Kevin Woodley of InGoal Magazine and NHL.com, your uh, Vancouver colleague over at NHL.com. That uh, that Markstrom stuff, that that pops off when you hear it, and... You know, different. He looks at at different metrics. Uh, Stephen Valakat, um, the the former NHL goaltender, yep. is, is, has has made his company, and yeah, that paints. Look, we last hour we had a really good talk about Jacob Markstrom and how we feel like he's at right now by far the best he's played since the twenty one twenty two Vesna Trophy runner up season. You're what Kevin Woodley yeah. said. Like some of the, the Vesna conversation above expected. He's like this guy should be in the Vesna conversation. Above expected, top three, high danger, top two, I believe it was. And listen, Kevin's got access to stats via Stephen Valaket that just aren't available on NHL.com or NHL Edge or Natural Stat Trick, Money Puck, so on and so forth. Like you talk about the filters that you're able to put on, and yeah, you go dig through some of those underlying metrics as Kevin has done. And as much as we've been boosting Jacob Markstrom via the eye test this season, and rightfully so, there are even more numbers and more analytics underneath the surface that paint an even rosier picture for the turnaround that Jacob Markstrom's had, as Kevin illustrates. Quite interesting. Good stuff from uh, Kevin Woodley. He's on Twitter at 
Kevin is in goal. Uh, in goal magazine online. Uh, great stuff, features, and insight on a position that I quite frankly just do not <laughs> understand. And that's why I talk to human beings who do understand it. I don't. It, you, you understand it slightly better than I do. Yeah, that's probably fair. But the gap between you and I and me and Kevin? Smaller between you and I? Yeah, I think that's that's probably fair to say. One, I still refer to goalies as voodoo. I always have. I always will. And it always will be. Yeah, 100%. And Kevin will just can just watch five minutes and come away with 100 times more than I'm going to. And I like to think that I'm okay when it comes to goalies. So I'll, I'll lean on, on Kevin. I know you're good on gear. I love gear. For a guy that never played the position, I played it for five days in a summer hockey school and decided never again. But man, am I ever a gear guy. That's why. And that's the main reason um, why I say you know more than I do. Because (laughs) you're like, you can pick things. Oh, it changes pads. I'm like, what? How did you know that? They're the, they're the same color. Well, you know, they're the, the, the trim on the, this. The, the, the XV970s and no, uh, I, that's one not thing. the XV972s. That's one thing that I, I'm clueless on is pad oh, really? versions and things like that. Like, I'm so you far removed. Use... I could just tell, hey, that one's painted differently okay. than what he normally well, wears. Well, you've got a good eye. Thanks, uh, that's our look inside hockey. Thanks to Kevin Woodley of Ingoal Magazine and NHL.com. Inside hockey, as always, for Calgary Co-op. Flames fans, meet Cal and Gary. Top products curated for Calgarians, and we mean every single one of you. Only available at Calgary Co-op. Visit them today. You're locked on Flames Talk. Only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, this hour continues on a Wednesday. It's Steinberg and Aaron Vickers along with you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. So as things sit right now, Flames are three points back of a playoff spot. We know there are roster moves that are going to happen between now and the deadline. We know there will be big decisions made. But as we talked a little bit last hour on the roundtable about, I still think there is a segment of fans that want to see this team make the playoffs. And that might infuriate others who don't want to see that. And that may infuriate others who want to see this team take a step back, be less competitive, whatever the case may be, so on and so forth. That's fair. And and none of you are wrong. None of you are, are like, there's no wrong opinion when it comes to the direction the Flames should go. You may disagree with the other side, but if you're a fan... If you're a season ticket holder, if you're a if you're a game pack holder and you want to see your team in the playoffs, there's nothing wrong with that. Or if you're a season ticket holder or you're a game pack owner and you're like, yeah, I'm still gonna be these things, but I want to see the team rebuild, there's nothing wrong with that. And if you don't have the ability to go to games on a regular basis for financial reasons or because you're not um because you're not in the city or whatever the case may be whatever side you are on that conversation, and there's a spectrum too. Um, I, I really don't think there's any wrong answers or wrong opinions, but I do think that segment exists. I, I hear from them on the Flames Talk postgame. Um, trying to think, you know, I, I, I would suggest a couple regular callers, like I think Ryan, I think Parsons would both be in that category of, yeah, I, I, I want to see my team make the playoffs. I want to see my team be good and losing still sucks regardless of the direction that they're going in. So for that segment of fans, 
Like, how the hell does it actually happen? The Flames are three back of a playoff spot right now, but they're also in a mix of, what you say, seven teams for two spots right now? Is that is that the correct math? Yeah, as it stands right now, you got five teams chasing the two teams already in wildcard spots, so my math says seven for two. So, what is the most realistic path for them to get there, and how difficult a path, how many booby traps are there on that path for them to walk? Like what needs to happen and, and what are the what are the doors that have already closed? Have you completely shut the door and wave goodbye to that cruise ship uh, when it comes to them tracking down a top three spot in the Pacific? No. Oh, in the Pacific, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, in the Sorry, Pacific. my apologies. I jumped ahead there. Yeah. Like I, are you are you pinning that in, ship has sailed. So Vegas, in my books. LA and No, Vancouver? I'm not even I'm not even locking in LA into that conversation because the Edmonton Oilers have so just Edmonton's been so good. A factor for you but there those too. to me, those four teams are the four teams that are chasing down the three spots in the Pacific okay. Division. The Vancouver Canucks, the Vegas Golden Knights, the Los Angeles Kings, and sorry, but the Edmonton Oilers. Okay. And they are red hot. They won again. On Tuesday night, uh, they are... Six in a row. And even the Seattle Kraken have won five straight, too. But I'm not ready to lump them into that conversation yet, even though they sit at 39 points with the Oilers. They've played three more games. But to me, those are the four realistic teams that have a shot at locking down a Pacific Division spot. Um, and I'm, I'm with you, too. I think it, it's probably just a little bit too much to ask, or a lot too much to ask for them to... Not only because there is a... Uh, significant gap, like there's a gap between number three and where the Flames are with three fewer games played, but also because I think our opinions of LA, Vancouver, and Vegas are quite high, and to your point about Edmonton and how hot they've been as well. So then right now, the two wild card spots, as we're talking on January 3rd, the two wild card spots are held down by Nashville and Arizona. For me, and that's not talking about the teams in between, which we'll get to, but the the most likely team that they're going to track down to me for a multitude of reasons is Arizona. A, I don't believe in Arizona to that extent, and they're a great story. They're having a great year, and you know the four thousand fans or whatever they're rolling Mold out arena. of that embarrassing arena are having fun, like awesome. But as a hockey team, am I do I look at the Coyotes and say, "Oh, watch out for the Coyotes"? I don't know. I, I still look at them as kind of a not so great team that is overachieving right now and good on them, but there's that. But also the flames have three head to heads with them still to go. Uh, whereas Nashville is further ahead and the flames coming up on Thursday night have one more head to head with them to go. So there's less of an opportunity for them to actually affect reeling in like directly affect reeling in that team as well. So to me of the teams that are in playoff spots right now, that the Flames could actually chase down. They've got LA in third in the Pacific, Arizona and Nashville in wildcard spots. I think Arizona's the team that is most likely to be tracked down. Yeah, you're not going to get too much disagreement from me on this one. And even if you look at it, the Nashville Predators and Arizona Coyotes are neck and neck in terms of their position in the wildcard. Yes, the Nashville Predators are three points ahead of Arizona. Arizona's played two fewer games. So we're talking about a 10-point difference in points percentage between the two of them. Not dramatic by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm just a much more a believer in what the Nashville Predators are, what they did in the offseason, what they've built their foundation on over the course of the past couple seasons than I am the Arizona Coyotes, who have been a great story to this point in the 2023-24 season. 
but I'm still kind of waiting for those wheels to fall off a little bit or a stretch where, okay, it's two, seven and one to, to use the Calgary flames start coming out of the Arizona coyotes. that kind of has them fall off and they've got a ton, an absolute ton of young players that are either in their first year or second year or third year that are very big pieces of that organization, but I'm not sure they're playoff ready as it stands right now. So if the Calgary flames are going to catch one team that's currently in a playoff spot, yeah, I'd put my money on the Arizona coyotes. Um, and then who's the toughest competition currently outside like the flames are that like who of those groups, who is the most, uh, I think it's an easy answer, but who, who what's the most daunting team to also keep behind you? Cause you also have to factor in Edmonton, Seattle, right. St. Louis, and Minnesota in this conversation. Of those, those are the four other teams outside the mix right now. That one's easy, right? Like it's the Edmonton, Edmonton Oilers. is the Edmonton's the team that you're most you're most afraid of in terms of competing for a spot that neither of the teams are in. Yeah, and just because of the run they've been on, probably since the coaching change or at least the outdoor game, the Heritage Classic up at Commonwealth. The Edmonton Oilers have just, again, sorry, but they've been on one of the best runs in the NHL since they made that coaching change to Chris Knobloch from Jay Woodcroft. And that's why I kind of lumped them into a conversation about the Pacific Division more than I do about the wild card. So if you want to extrapolate this a little bit, if they catch, say, the Los Angeles Kings who sit third, then all of a sudden the Calgary Flames have to jump the, the LA Kings as opposed to the Edmonton Oilers in order to get one of those two wild card spots. So for me... Yeah, you can look at the picture and go, on January 3rd, the Flames are three points out of the second wild card from the Western Conference, but they're tied in points percentage with the Minnesota Wild, who they just beat. If Minnesota wins their next game and evens up the 37 games played, they're going to jump ahead of the Calgary Flames. you got the St. Louis Blues to contend with. Again, the Seattle Kraken have quietly put together a 7-1-2 and run over the past 10 they're, games. They're kind of doing what the Flames had to do in November, because right. remember, Seattle had... A, a meh month of November, uh, October rather, and then just a dismal month of November. They lost eight in a row in yep. that month of November. So you know they they're having to do the same things the flame, Flames had to do, and that is get on a really good run just to get themselves back in a conversation. Yeah, and so you look at the situation. Yeah, you've got five teams chasing those two wild card spots with chasing the Nashville Predators and the Arizona Coyotes. Pardon me. So you've got seven teams fighting for those two spots. Of the teams on the outside looking in right now, only one has a positive goals for against differential, and it's the Edmonton Oilers at plus 16. Next closest is Minnesota at minus five. There's a lot of work to be done for any of these teams trying to get in, but the Edmonton Oilers just seem to be situated mm-hmm. best with what they've been able to do over the last month and a half to put themselves in a good spot. Yeah, like I, I think it's Edmonton too. Um, I also don't expect St. Louis or Seattle to go away. I don't know if they're surefire playoff teams, but I think that they're going to stay close like the other. And and the, the team that I guess I'm less, least confident in of the entire mix is Minnesota. And I only say that because of their injuries. We don't know exactly like sounds like one to two weeks, but they're just saying week to week on Kaprizov. Same with Gustafson and why I think Flurry's a nice, um, a nice safety valve to have. I still think you want Gustafson to be your guy right now. Um, so with Caprizov out, Zuccarello sounds like he's close. They they don't have Brodeen, which is a huge loss. 
Obviously, Kaprizov's the the diesel fuel for their yep. for their offense, and they don't have Gustafson, their best goaltender. I, I just feel like as good a job John Hines has done, and as like Matt Boldy was great on Tuesday, and Matt Boldy's turned into a real player. And Faber is all of a sudden you're like, does this guy ever come off the ice? He's playing so much right now, and Spurgeon's still a really good player. Like they, they've got good players, but without. They're, you know, you're, you're talking about one of the top two or three, like Jonas Brodine is Chris Tanev level yeah. in terms of a shutdown D. So you're missing one of the best you're defensive a- defensemen in the NHL, your most important offensive player and your number one goalie right now. Yeah. You you summed it up pretty good there in the fact that you're missing probably two of your top three forwards, one of your top pairing defensemen and your starting goalie. So that spells disaster at times and you wonder how long you can sort of tread water missing all those key components. But again, to me, man, the Edmonton Oilers and the run they've been on not to pump the division rival, the biggest rival on a Calgary network. But since that coaching change, they've got the second best winning percentage or points percentage, pardon me, in the NHL at seven two seven. That is significant. And why I lump them more in the Pacific division chase than I do the wild card chase. Granted, you still have to get there but all that's going to do is if they do it, all it's going to do is bump out the LA Kings. And that's a team I don't want to have to chase down either because the LA Kings have been really good this year as well. Despite some recent struggles, they're only four, five, and one in their last 10. But overall, their body of work has been elite too. Yeah, they've been a very I mean, elite team. might be a strong word, but in terms of the Pacific Division, no, it has I, think, been. I think it's been borderline elite, man. Like they've been, I, I know they're, they've hit the skids a little bit here of late, but I, I think what LA's done so far this year has been borderline elite. Um, and then all that being said, so. I think consensus is tracking down Arizona yep. is Calgary's best opportunity, but it might not just be Arizona that you got to track down. Um, and they have to contend with probably in order Edmonton than the rest of the teams that are also outside the mix who are at the very least on the same level as Calgary, if not better. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if you could say that Seattle or St. Louis or Minnesota are markedly worse than Calgary. And I don't know if you can say they're markedly better. They're probably in that same conversation. So you also got to battle with those teams in that mix as well. All that being said, what's your confidence level that it could be done with this group? And then there's also the rest of it hanging over as to what this group might look like next week or six weeks from now, so on and so forth. Not good, to be perfectly honest with you. And that's more a product of they're in the vicinity. They're in the conversation. I just think there's too many teams you're battling with. And it might be premature to talk about this on Wednesday, January 3rd. And I don't know how much stock you put into Money Puck's playoff odds. But of all those teams in the mix in the wildcard chase in the West, Calgary's playoff percentage odds are 89 by far the fewest of all those teams. They only went up by like 0.2% yep. after the Minnesota, after the Minnesota game, went. Right? Minnesota sitting at 23.8. Arizona, which holds a spot, is 32.8. Seattle's 34. Nashville's 41.1. The Oilers, who are on the outside looking in, 86.7. Which I think might be a little high, but at the same time, again, I, I did it. say 727 since November 13th, so I understand it. But as it stands in terms of the analytics behind the team, 8.9 isn't a glowing review. And again, take take from that what you will. But I certainly don't like necessarily the odds of the Calgary Flames, just given, again, they're close, but there's just too many teams jumbled. And I know you said kind of park the uncertainty of 
depending on restricted free agents and moves or whatnot that might happen at the trade. Because that also that 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 is not irrelevant. It's not irrelevant. It's just a hard situation to feel great about the odds of them making it, given where they are as it stands, Jan three, knowing what could happen in March at the trade deadline as well, or tomorrow, or tomorrow, yeah, anytime between Thursday, January fourth, and March eighth, third, March eighth, yeah. I knew it was something that had kind of that three swivel in it. Eight counts. Uh, a few texts. This is from John. Uh, I was a season ticket holder for over two decades. It's not about making the playoffs or a rebuild. It's about one thing. I want to win the Stanley Cup, period. It's the best way to compete and have a le- legit chance that comes from John. I knew as soon as we had this conversation that it was going to incite a few on the text mm-hmm. line saying, WTF, are you guys talking about this? And and the W in this case is why. But WTF, like, why are you talking about this? What the, the, You shouldn't even be talking about this. Playoffs are only bad for the organization. I knew I would incite a few people with that. Like, for instance, Dale and Red Deer. Can you please tell me why you want the Flames to make the playoffs so Edwards can tell Conroy to hang on to the UFAs regardless of the outcome? Well, I'm not saying what I want or don't want. All I'm saying is that there is a group of fans, Dale. There, there is. Whether you agree with them or not, there are a group of fans that that just want to see their team make the playoffs. And we're trying to hit conversation. We talk plenty. I think we talk plenty, and we hit the trade guys for first-round picks and what could a top-10 pick look like. Like I think we hit that side of it. I think we do a pretty good job of, of representing that side of the conversation and have this year and over the summer. Like, I don't know. I feel like we've done a pretty good job representing that myself. You're more of a objective ombudsman than I am. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you what. I just, don't I'm just think... saying, do you th- I'm asking you, have we done a pretty good oh, job yeah. representing that side? Of I think eyes? so. And I okay. don't think these conversations have to be merged together. I think that if the Calgary flames find themselves in the exact same spot on March 6th, and they still have these pending unrestricted free agents, I don't think your place in the standings necessarily dictate Craig Conroy's approach at the deadline as well. So I think you can still have playoff aspirations, even though you might be subtracting from your roster. Right. Um, I just understandably saying that one directly impacts the other, but I can still see conversations separate. What do you do with the UFAs versus... Right. Where do you want to be in the standings? Uh, to want to make the playoffs should mean you also have a chance in the playoffs. And anybody being honest with themselves could not possibly think the Flames are as good as the top four in the Pacific. Never mind a Stanley Cup contender. So what's the point? I imagine Ma- the Col- Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to finish reading the text. Uh, making the playoffs is fine as long as it's not with this group of players. Make the playoffs with the young guys and the new roster additions via trades. And I'm okay with that. I'm not privy to Florida Panthers radio, but I imagine that might have been a lot of the sentiment leading into the fact that they were the number eight seed in the East. The Calgary Flames actually had more points than them. That's irrelevant. Just something I like to toss out there. There is a narrative of chip in a chair. All you need is one chip and to still be at that table in order to still be a competitor in order to still have a chance. I don't subscribe to that necessarily. I'm not going to be one that backs that theory or that saying or that cliche or what have you but I do get the people that say it because they'll point to the St. Louis Blues. They'll point to the Florida Panthers. I more think those are the exception, not the norm myself, but there are those examples. We, we see it lots with teams that get there, but I can think of one occasion where that team actually won it. 
and that was St. Louis. And the caveat that I always throw out there on St. Louis is that their expectations were much higher than when they were right. a last place team. Now, but the fact of the matter is they made it as a bottom seed and won the Stanley Cup. That is the one time, I guess the only other one would be L.A. And and my caveat with L.A. is that that then started a stretch of three straight Western Conference Finals and two Cups in three years. So maybe they were a little bit better than a chip in a chair, too. But otherwise, you had Florida, you had Vegas in year one, you had Montreal, you had... Uh, I don't know. I would even call those successes, though. You didn't win the Stanley Cup, no. But there was a lot of excitement. Like, I don't... The Flames making the playoffs as the number eight seed, if you will, or the second wild card, and going to the final and losing, that's still a win in my books. Unless it completely diverts you from a path that you're thinking about going on. That's the other element to it, but I mean... All in 2015. How much would you put the emphasis on they have to win the Stanley Cup if they just make it. Like, I think there is gains to be made if you make the playoffs. And granted, you still have to win rounds, but I don't think the end-all, be-all is... As stupid as that sounds, like, of course, everybody plays the game to win the Stanley Cup. You want to be the last team standing. You want to hoist it. You want to have the parade, all that. But I don't think going from an eight seed and then, you know, losing like the Florida Panthers did or the Vegas Golden Knights did, I don't think it's a complete wash or a complete loss. No, I'm not suggesting it is. I, I will push back on the Stanley Cup remains the be all and end all. I'm I mean, gonna, yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna push You're gonna hold me to that one? Ooh, feet to the fire on that. that. Uh good point made on the text line that even the St. Louis year, they went in as a three seed in the central. They so they cooked enough. Eight. Oh, they 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 were like full on up to eight hundred on the barbecue from the time that they made their change and Bennington came in and so on and so forth. So that's important too. Um, this says the Panthers were more underachievers last year than anything and found their game in the playoffs. They have stud, which studs, which the flames do not. It's very true. I mean, you've got a number one elite center in Alexander Barkov. Barkov. And, and I know Matthew Kachuk's numbers have dipped this year, but he did have 109 points last year. I think we know what Matthew is. Uh, and this says, and the, I'm going to ask this question directly to you to wrap up the hour. Are the others hot or have they settled in? Saying they're hot is hinting they'll cool off. Is that wishful thinking? Can I go a combination of both? Because I don't think they play at a 727 the rest of the way. But they have done enough, I think, where I think they're more working themselves into the conversation of home ice in the Pacific Division or maybe even a third place position in the Pacific Division than they are the wild card. I think they're more a Pacific Division competitor than they are a wild card team. So right in the middle. Well, not right in the middle, but again, I don't think they play to the points. Per- I don't think they're the second best team the rest of the way in terms of points percentage, but they're probably top 10, potentially top five. I mean, I'm talking about a team that's been to, that was in the Western Conference final a couple years ago, went to round two last year, both times they've been, you know what, I, I don't need to talk about nope. them. That's that's enough. Um Thank you very much to Aaron Vickers on Twitter at AA Vickers. Thank you to Taylor and Cam, our producers. And thanks for hanging out with us this hour on Flames Talk. This hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Did you know Calgary Lock and Safe also fixes doors? If you have one that needs it, visit calgarylockandsafe.com slash doors.